Hello, and welcome to episode 215 of Relics of War. I'm your host, Grybach, and joining me, as always, is our wonderful co-host, Spirit. How are you doing this evening, Spirit? Hi, I'm on the internet. It's great. It's been a long time. It's been a hot minute since we've uh, done a podcast. Probably going on about three months now, so... (sighs) Too long. Too long. Too long. Well, you know, the holidays are hectic and nothing new comes out for at least a couple months there while everybody at ArenaNet takes vacation and all that and you know real life stuff so anyway it's good to be back in the saddle and going again and also joining us this evening we have Rabin how are you doing Rabin? I'm doing great glad to be here as always um three months huh I guess it's been I've been on podcasts earlier or sooner back than I realized I didn't know we'd been taking a three-month break yeah, I mean, I think the last one we did was sort of at the end of November, and then just... Yeah, I feel like I was doing podcasts, you know, relatively sometimes during that period. Yeah, yep, so, yep, we're we're back and rolling, and we have quite a bit to talk about. I don't think, just for viewers, listeners, I suppose, discretion, we are probably going to avoid or mostly avoid talking about the Living Story that released on Tuesday, because... Not our hosts are in varying states of completion with it, and you know it's a fresh episode, so that'll probably mostly be next week. Um, but we have other things to talk about, like the Mesmer rework, the proposed world v world changes, uh, and all sorts of general whatever medus. I'm sure we'll find a way to fill the time. So, is there well, any topic either of you want to hit first, Brabin? I just want to touch on you saying being as various states of completion for the episode. I think that says something, because I don't know if I've expressed it on the show before, but there's been times where an episode comes out, and I don't care about spoilers, let's just talk about it. But this one, I don't want to be spoiled, so I think, I don't know, something about it that's really cool, and I want to experience firsthand. Yeah, um, yeah, it's, I actually, I thought the marketing campaign for this one was really interesting. I, it was very... It was familiar, but really good. Yeah, it was it was fun. It was I think fun is the way is is the adjective that most readily describes it. Like it was kind of goofy, but kind of serious, but kind of Ocean's Elevenies. Like the the heist movie trailer uh-huh. it was yeah. It was a lot of the fun. labels on people. Oh, yeah. and then the splash screen. I mean, it almost looked like a cleaning commercial where you've got three different people with a mop and you know a rag, and they're like, I don't know. Yeah, I've seen weird. <laughs> Are cleaning you implying commercials. that this is a tie ad? Um, it's a tight ad. Isn't everything? I also really liked the, uh, there was a cover of Fear Not This Night in the trailer that was, like, bang on for I really like spoopy stuff, and it was the appropriate level of spoopy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm I'm a big fan of taking uh, not spoopy songs and sp- spoopifying them. So, yeah, I, I definitely, I didn't quite catch what it was at first, but then, you yeah. know, when the, when the, main line kicked in i was like oh okay yeah yeah i dig it did you guys catch um the portrait smiling at the end yes i did not other than that i saw on reddit that it did so but i did not notice it personally when i was watching it i i watched it like four or five times on my phone it was just a little bit too small to see on my phone and what are people seeing I was, I was, I was like, I had spreadsheets. I was, I was the crazy person who had a conspiracy theory. Like, what's going on? What? I can't see anything. I pulled it up on my computer and I saw it immediately. 
and if you haven't seen it, I recommend uh, looking at that shaman and uh, his slowed down version of it in which uh, he did definitely not Photoshop Palawa Joko doing the Macarena into that portrait. So uh, if you don't want to see Palawa Joko not doing the Macarena, don't be so ambitious about how many negatives you put in your sentence. I wouldn't say that, but... (laughs) But Palawa Joko doing the Macarena is awesome. I thought I could keep track of all my negatives and then I failed. But I, I certainly tried. Look, we have to admit that I am clearly the most negative person on this podcast, so it's not that surprising that you can't handle it sometimes. It's okay. okay. I'll, I'll learn from the best eventually. <laughs> yeah, one day, one day you will be able to be go full negative in whatever, <laughs> whatever incarnation that may be. Anyway. But uh, yeah, what would you what would you guys like to lead off with for discussion topics? Robin, you want to get right into the world v world since you're. Oh, I have a feeling if we start in the world, we may never leave. <laughs> okay. I mean, okay, so that that leaves the mesmer rework, right? Yeah, let's yeah. start with mesmer sure. work. Okay, so pretend that I didn't read anything about it because I haven't played a mesmer in ages. Just pretend okay. that. So you know how. Uh, mesmers make illusions, right? They yeah. can have up to three of them. That's a perfection mechanic. They can make clones, which are the ones that look identical to the mesmer. Yeah. Um, and they don't do very much damage. And they have low health. And then they have phantasms, which uh, are see-through, still styled like the mesmer, but tend to do a lot of damage or have really big effects on their skills. They're kind of more like minions than illusions, but yeah. that's that was my initial gripe when the game launched. Yeah, they're sort of the... Yeah, there's sort of an in-between. Uh, well, phantasms are sort of an in-between for uh, between clones and like necromancer minions, where mm-hmm. they yeah. do these repeated attacks and they hurt, and they have more hit points than than the clones, but not as much as a necrominion, for example. Which, when thinking about an evolution from Guild Wars One, there is that skill conjure phantasm, which does a lot of you know negative pip damage. So to see that, you know, what maybe the developers envisioned in the beginning is actually kind of cool. Yeah, but anyway, so what are they changing? So, phantasms, it's not really important that you know what phantasms are because they don't really exist anymore. Um, Phantasms are now, uh, still still appear ghostly purple mesmer thing on summon, but then after they do their attack, they become a clone. So, yeah, it's... And there is a Kirkmanster trait that makes them do two attacks that have become a clone, but... Yeah, so so it's, it was a huge overhaul in terms of the core profession mechanic got changed. And because of that, many trait lines, I think virtually all trait lines, honestly, had at least one or more traits changed to uh, make this work, essentially. And mm-hmm. Chronomancer, in particular, kind of got ripped up and and replaced. They still do all the things that Mesmers did before, but it's there's much more of a clone factory type of feel to each build. Um, you still use your phantasms and your clones, but the goal, I think, was to make sure that you could use all of your um, profession skills more and all your weapon skills. So it's not like, oh, you set up your three clone, you set up your three phantasms. You never want to summon a clone because then you'll overwrite your phantasm. 
and you never want to shatter because the best thing to do for DPS and PvE especially is just to leave those phantasms up. So it's made the class overall a lot more uh not Active. accessible. I guess dynamic, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, there's more more things you can do with each build. And so I was really apprehensive about this at the start because I I always wanted to see a PvE viable clone build because there weren't any until very recently. There was one with Mirage. There was a sort of Phantasm and clone version of that build. Um, but I also did actually kind of like the set it and forget it play style of the Condi Mesmer and stuff. I know I know people are always like, oh, but it's too easy. Or maybe it's just the people I play with because I play with the hardcore raiders. Like, oh, it's too easy and it's brainless. And I go, well, yeah, but there's also, you know, stuff on the other end that's super complicated and hard. And I'm just happy to have a variety of builds. And maybe today I don't want to play the one that makes me uh, smash every key on my keyboard twice and then pull out my piano and play on that one too. So... I was sad to see those go, but I have to say that I've enjoyed my playing my Chronomancer proper more. Uh, I shouldn't say Chronomancer proper because there's a lot of Chronomancer builds. Uh, support Chrono, just generic support power Chrono, more than I ever have in the past. And it's also opened up new avenues of play for a DPS power Chrono, uh, which didn't exist before and is very cool. Um, as well as kind of preserving the the two Condi Mirage builds, the Phantasm and the Clone, have kind of merged into the same build now, but uh, is still an interesting playstyle. So I'm I'm really happy overall with how it turned out. I didn't think it would be that good. Yeah, um, I really liked how the Phantasms, Phantasms and Shattering, kind of like you said before, always seem to be at odds, and I'm glad that that's kind of resolved. Ooh, so one of the fun things you can do, uh, you can only have up to three clones out at a time, but you can have unlimited phantasms out at a time, oh. and they don't count towards your clone limit. So uh, if you want to get really cheeky and have a lot of fun with your build, you can get, I think Christian managed to get 13 phantasms and clones out at once. Uh, I'm not saying anything about the effectiveness of that build. I'm just saying it's kind of crazy and fun. So uh, if that's... Uh, you know, you like your weird, quirky builds. You can always try and go for how many phantasms can I summon on this mob before it disappears. Huh. Okay. Yeah, I mean, from a design perspective, I think that they kind of... I, I agree with their intent, for sure, because I don't I don't, u- I don't like using the adjective of, of brainless or brain dead, but I definitely agree with their sentiment that it's not that fun to have half your skills and not to mention most of your traits not like for you to not do anything Mm -hmm. and because it's like actively hindering you and i know that to some extent that's true on some other classes where it's like well you don't want to use these skills because it just lowers your dps and the skills aren't very good um cop necro uh but (laughs) sometimes anyway uh but that was especially the case for Mesmers, I felt, or rather for Phantasm Mesmers, where, you know, yeah, you'd get your three out, and then it's like, well, I shouldn't use most of my fan, or most of my shatters pretty much at all, except for, you know, in a very specific case, and I shouldn't use, you know, my weapon skill three and, you know, five or four or whatever it is, and also, you know, it's like, 
it, it created sort of this awkward place where summoning them was sort of an investment and then you just just sort of didn't want to do yeah, anything. Yeah, that's a good way to put it. You know, and so I think it's good that they want to address that. And my my apprehension when you first started talking about it would just be from a power perspective of, you know, are they just nerfing the builds? And so I guess it sounds like they've done a good job of rebalancing it so that illusions or clones rather aren't quite so useless and phantasms aren't quite so um, like or rather they've sort of rebalanced it so that the you use all of them and it's good to be using all of them and to be using your skills and it's mm -hmm. not you know they didn't just gut the class um, so I, I think that's good I haven't like I said I didn't even know really that they'd done that because I just had sort of tuned out from Mesmer for a while especially since I don't raid and so, I mean, would you say that it's been pretty successful? Yeah, I mean, the only, really the only builds that have disappeared are the ones that are just not possible anymore, and new ones have opened up. Um, you think more new, new ones have opened builds. up than we've lost? Yeah, absolutely. Cool. Um, so I am, I'm quite pleased all around. Uh, on top of the phantasm changes, I don't know if you caught, but Alacrity became a boom. I did catch that. Reduced in effectiveness from 33 to 25%. Oh, actually, that's a fun thing. So one of the things they changed in the the Chronomancer line, which I'm really enjoying and I didn't think I would, is that uh, there's a trait that makes Alacrity have 50% cooldown reduction on you in exchange for reducing the duration of Alacrity on yourself. But you can still maintain it permanently on yourself uh, if you do really well, and so playing it in fractals and trying to keep alacrity up on myself and having my skills all come up cooldown on rapid fire is so much fun. It's like so rewarding to to pull that off well. Uh, I've just been having an absolute blast with the that improved alacrity is what the trade is called. Nice. Yeah, that's the one that is uh is on recommended for the uh, build on Reddit where they talks about the. I'm talking. I'm referencing the open world um, PVE builds that. Um, have been circulated around the guild. Oh yeah, that's cool. Uh, I yeah, I think for sure. I it always sort of confused me that alacrity wasn't considered a boon because it's like a big design push in Guild Wars Two was to have all buffs be simple or most buffs be simplified into boons and all debuffs be condensed into conditions. And because in Guild Wars One there were there were enchantments there were you know there were all sorts of there was all sorts of things and then there was hexes and there was uh like curses and uh, there was there's this like huge and and like every one of them had its own thing and you needed to learn hundreds of icons and in in guild wars 2 they wanted to sort of condense that and simplify it and then just be tweaking on the amounts and so when they added something that felt like it was a new boon but then it wasn't a boon. It just it just felt really weird to me because it seemed to much, go against exactly what they were saying. Right, like pretty much the only class based buffs that aren't boons are um, like auras, right? You know, like the vampiric aura or whatever. You know, mm -hmm. yeah, that's not a boon. You get a little icon for that, but like it's not it's not like a skill that you're applying to people, and pretty much everything else falls under that territory. So. I was just honestly surprised that it wasn't in the first place. Um, so 
I, I like that they changed it, I think. So that's good, just for design consistency. Uh, are you, do you guys have more you want to say about the Mesmer? Otherwise, I'll talk a little bit about some other skill stuff that I found exciting. Go for it. Um, uh, this isn't so much a change. I mean, it, it was a part of the balance patch as they tweaked some things on Warrior, especially relating to power builds. And so we've seen uh, Warrior kind of come into a really good place where they have support builds in, in the banner, the quote-unquote banner slave builds, which are just DPS builds that take banners. Um, but in addition to that, we've also seen Spellbreaker get a decent um, power buff and turn out its own uh, DPS build that's competitive in raids. And not only that, but the uh, to my knowledge, the best uh, power banner warrior build is now a core warrior build. Uh, which is really cool to see all their various elite specs, or, you know, I guess Court Warrior is an elite spec, but all their various options have a competitive build. I think that's a really good place for them to be in, and I'm I'm happy for all the Warrior mains to have a lot of options. Um, and it, it's just really cool overall. I think that's a great place for them to be in. That's cool. Yeah, I I think it's, it's pretty rare still, right, that uh, to have a core, like a core build that doesn't use an elite specialization at all, be good. Yeah, uh, it it still happens from time to time, but I think it will happen less as we get more elite specs because, especially in PVE, and especially in group content in PVE, mm-hmm. um, you just want to be specialized in whatever you you want to achieve. So. I think we'll see that that less and less is like your your core kit is your you know your um your foundation for building off of and then your elite specialization su- surprise uh, specializes you into whatever you want to do. So I think we'll see that less and less as as we get more elite specs, but um if they if the core specs are viable, I consider that a good thing if if you can work at a better build than using an elite spec, I think that's cool too. I'm honestly still sort of surprised that they didn't sort of reverse t- or like retroactively turn a core trait line into an elite trait line. You know, like the core class quote is just mm. its specialization and and maybe then they could like buff up some of those trait lines that seemed more um like uh, soul reaping, you know, would be the the necromancer trait line potentially. Uh you mean like like the the class specific, like what used to be if you've played for a very long time, we used to have one line that the, the lines used to give stats and you so you'd have your like your power line and your condi line and then one of them would reduce the usually the cooldown on your profession specific skills, is that what you mean? Well, yeah, but also um it's it's sort of that but also it feels like most classes tend to have sort of a trait line for a, each sort of subset of skills and or weapon styles and then they also have a trait line that sort of just like feels sort of like a signature aspect of their class um so soul reaping was the one like because for necromancers you've got death magic which is obviously your death mag you know you're summoning skills um but like soul reaping doesn't really have any skills associated with it it's all about death shroud and so it sort of felt like that was the profession line in air quotes um i don't yeah. I'd, I'd have to pull up all the other trait lines to just like pull them strength out strength for warriors yep yep and it was like fast casting for uh mesmers i see where you're going 
Yeah, well, fast casting in Guild Wars one, but uh, yeah, gosh, what was the anyway? I'm sort of I'm sort of a little bit fuzzy on at at one point. I probably could have told you what all the specific names of the trait lines are, but it felt like there was there was generally one trait line for each class that felt sort of more I don't know class defining, even though they're all obviously unique, but not not specifically based on weapons or skill types, and more just like general. This makes me this like synergizes with my other trait lines. And so I sort of expected that since the whole thing with elite specializations seemed to be that there was some power creep there, that elite specializations are better trait lines. I sort of expected it to be given a choice back in heart of thorns or soon after where it was like, okay, well, so we buffed up one of the base trait lines to become an elite specialization for the base class. You know what I mean? Hmm. Does that make sense? Yeah, I think that sounds like an interesting, interesting idea. The only thing that I wouldn't like about that is, would that make it so you couldn't use that base trait line with another specialization? Because specializations can't be uh, used Well, yeah, that's what I mean. Like, by design, it would be it would give the base classes more of an identity rather than just being purely a... Uh, um, yeah. You know, because that's that's sort of what we were just talking about just in reverse. is like you don't ever see base classes anymore because... Like, the specializations mm-hmm. give them something extra powerful. And so I just sort of felt that, you know, like, maybe we don't always want Berserkers. And maybe we want some regular Warriors and to, like, give, like, quote, base Warriors something more powerful and interesting. But it's it's just something that I thought about, like, way back then. And, you know, that ship is clearly sailed. That's not going to happen. But um, just talking about having a baseline class being meta... It just sort of brought it back to the the forefront of my mind. So it's not really something I am advocating or pushing for. I just thought it was... I was sort of surprised that they never went that direction, I guess. <laughs> but anyway, enough about that. Sure. Uh, there's one more thing, actually, kind of tangentially. Well, no, it's still skill-related. Uh, but it relates to kind of base classes having an interesting thing. So thieves as part of the balance patch, got um, new steel skills that are exclusive to raids and therefore are themed around having a 10-man party um, and are extremely strong, to be honest. Um, For example, one of the skills cleanses all condies on up to 10 players and then turns those condies into stacks of a venom, which are then sourced as damage to the thief. Uh, wow. One of them is a 1500 range shadow step, and if you cast it on a player, um, as I haven't used this myself, but as, as I understand it, um, if there are downed player or players in the area where you cast the shadow step, it will teleport them to you from up to 1500 range away, up to theoretically 10 players because i mean the thief can't be downed but as, as i understand it people have tested it on nine players and it can pull all of them to them so they have to be in a relatively well condensed area but that's insane uh and you know that stuff is on a on a 20 second cooldown because that's the i think the cooldown of uh steel maybe 24 seconds when traded i don't know i get things mixed up but it's it's somewhere between 20 and 30 seconds on those skills as a cooldown which is crazy they're all very interesting uh but specific parade boss right they are specific parade boss so for example um 
Doom has unstable artifact, which is the one that that teleports you or people to you. Mm-hmm. Um, Mursat Overseer has an ectoplasm, which when detonated gives all boons except alacrity for 10 seconds on ten, to 10 people in your party, Whoa. which is insane. Yeah, it's like yeah. Vinewrath. Ah, oh, there's some really cool. There's a really cool thief build. I think it's Core Thief and not Daredevil that people have theory crafted for bosses with the detonate ecto skill because uh, it refreshes your steel cooldown whenever you successfully evade. So I think it's like a Core Thief sword build that just evades things to refresh steel and spams the boon skill. And it's <laughs> incredible for how much how many boons it can theoretically keep up on a on a small group so uh i i would not call that meta by any stretch but it's a really cool sort of niche build that i'm happy to see uh exist i'm happy to to see people have fun with that so you know a lot more about uh raids than than i do Mm -hmm. do you think that like the record speed run would be with a thief because of this uh to my knowledge, no one has done it yet, but I think it it well could potentially be. that yeah yeah um, because you could drop the the only thing that's missing from the thief thing is alacrity, so you would still have to take uh, probably a, re- a renegade I think uh, to give only alacrity. Maybe a chrono could give only alacrity as well if they were um, super you know built in the right way. Although. Mm-hmm. Uh, Neither of them can give alacrity to ten people, so that that's always a problem. Um, in raids, anyway, I'm sure that's working as intended because you wouldn't want one person to be able to give alacrity to ten people in other game modes. Uh, but yeah, I, I could definitely see some some builds or some team comps being based around that. Hmm. That's really cool. I love the I love that that's a such a specialized support aspect, right? That it, like. Mm-hmm. I, I would not have I would not have expected ArenaNet to like put in that much extra design into something that kind of niche, right? Like a one class yeah. ability that is specific, like that is different per raid. That's I mean that's just really cool. Like I I I love it, and you know I know that thieves have historically had a tough time sometimes uh, with certain aspects for desirability. So that's that's great. Yeah, my my one complaint is uh, because Daredevil, as a unique profession mechanic, has its own set of skills. Daredevil hasn't been affected by this, or sorry, not Daredevil. Deadeye has its uh, unique set of steel skills. So only Daredevil and base thieves can make use of these skills, um, which is a little bit disappointing to me, especially because they're setting up Deadeye as like the boon share thief with fire for effect and all those related traits. So it. It's fine. It didn't make thieves meta or anything, but it definitely improved quality of life for people who are already running thieves and gave some interesting options for comp and stuff. I still want to th- see thieves get a little bit of a, a power boost in the future, but I'm happy with the direction that they're taking them so far. It's just a cool thing. Nice. Nice. Okay, cool. Uh, was there anything else we wanted to talk about with class balance? Or, I mean, we're already about a half hour in here, so it's... uh smokes plenty fine um, to move over to our other topic of d- discussion yeah i think i'm good on that oh wait uh one more thing real quick there is a huge uh world v world and pvp balance patch coming out soon um i just 
there's no specific date on it, but based on the language in the post and kind of the history of how they do balance patches, I suspect it will be after the next PvP season is over. Actually, after the current one is over. I'm not sure when that ends, but I expect to see it between PvP seasons. They're basically doing a huge list of just numbers tweaks where they're making things in PvP or World v. World or PvP and World v. World have different cooldowns or slightly different numbers on the skills to make them more less uh, oppressive, I guess, in the case of Scourges and Firebrands. Um, yeah, so we're so, seeing, uh, uh, we're, you're, you're, you're suspecting that we're going to see a true um, branching in uh, skill modes per game mode, skills per game mode. Yeah, well, I'm not suspecting so much as there is a list of these changes ah. out there on the forums. Like, they, they posted the list and they said, all right, give us feedback on these changes. And they, they haven't said when it's coming, but what is coming, we actually know. Um, at least uh, the list that they put out there for feedback. So, um, yeah, that that is a definite thing that it is coming. It's just when it is that we're we're questioning. Which I think maybe segues us to when it is are the dub v dub structure changes coming sure do we know and i don't think we know and i, I it's one of those where it's been talked about they want there's a huge post on the uh, forums about world world restructuring uh, i think it's like 40 um uh, posts or 40 pages long and man i don't even know where to start um it'd be they, they say they want feedback from this uh in this uh forum post though i don't understand how or where they're getting the feedback from but i don't know can can you just get the field over what it go over the main changes spirit sure so essentially with world v world they want to provide more balanced matchups by um, removing the world system and moving to a more alliance and guild based system so in the new system you would um pick a guild from your your guild roster to declare as your world be world guild and then when worlds are formed once every eight weeks or so um you are paired with everybody who set that same guild as their world be world guild and then additionally you would be paired with any guilds that your guild is allied with so they're talking about adding alliances you can set up uh, this is all very nebulous how how many guilds, yeah. how many players can be in, in an alliance, but the concept is there. They're pitching this concept to us. So um, say that Relics of Or is allied with uh, memories of Cavalon and Kamadon, which is uh, Mach, the host of Ascalon guild. Um, if we were allied together, all of our players who have decided that they're going to Play world v world with us will get to play with us for that eight week period um in addition players who don't have a guild that they want to you know be sorted with are just sorted uh into various world worlds to kind of fill the gap so again the goal here is to to provide very balanced matchups based on the fact that guilds and alliances and singular players are much easier to group into balanced teams than just a world that is continuously there and people are coming and going to and from all the time. Uh, but it does mean the destruction of our current worlds, which uh, is a super hot button topic, especially because the world v. world community that exists uh, is firmly based around those and has been for five years. So despite 
you know, the advantages of the system, which is hopefully having better matchups and, and more coverage around the different time zones, so a better world v world experience for some players, um, it's a big shift and it's going to cause some problems with people who, uh, you know, like being on a, on a server with, say, the NSP folks, that's where uh, Relics of War is based, but aren't in their guilds. They just have, you know, a certain commander that they know the name of and like to follow around a lot. And in this new system, you are not guaranteed to be in the same world as that commander. You're not guaranteed to be in the same world as anyone you know, unless you declare a guild to go with. And so I'm going to had... jump in real quick. Sure, go ahead. Uh, with that example where you're not going to be able to that commander, my biggest, uh, well, well I'll, I'll say some more stuff about this later, but my biggest um, qualm with that is, so say that commander is, you know, the commanders are almost always in dub v dub guilds. So, um, you know, they are the quote unquote elite. They're the people who play um, world v world all the time. They have organized meetings, you know, they are very firmly rooted in their communities based on servers. Well, those people, as we see, and like you said, it's nebulous. Those people that um, are already, you know, I guess I could use the term pro world v world players are obviously going to group up into guilds and alliances, which makes me wonder, are all of these servers going to be just the top with all the people that are the hardcore worldly worlds and then everyone else kind of thrown out to the pasture in the other ones? I don't see how that, how it isn't going to be that. And on top of that, that seems like it's just as open to gaming as the system is now where you've got, you know, I don't know, Blackgate's always the scapegoat. You've got Blackgate at the top because they've done all their um, gaming that's moving up and down. I don't see how that's going to make it, make that aspect better. Yeah, I was, well, when you were describing it, I was sort of wondering if there's going to be any attempt by the server communities to organize like an NSP alliance type thing, right? Because you could kind of keep it alive like that. That's for been talked that about, are, but yeah. That, for people that are serious about it, but that's also sort of clunky. And uh, do we know the size of these alliances? The size that was pitched in. Uh, the document, I believe, was 500 to 1,000 players. Okay. Um, but That seems they, to be a number that's going around, yeah. Yeah, they they said it's it's pretty nebulous. It's totally up in the air. They're doing a lot of investigation on, on what would make a good system. It's not guaranteed to be that many. So, I mean, it seems like a good idea on the face of it. And something does have to be done about world v. world. But by my main concern, I guess, is if this destroys the current community, will there be... It, it, is it worth it? Yeah, I I mean, change is always difficult, right? It's, I think that World v. World has always been one of those concepts that sounds really cool and is definitely enjoyable for, our, for the people that are really into it, but by its nature is inherently extremely difficult to balance and is sort of inherently unbalanced in some ways because it's asymmetric matches. It's not like structured PvP where you have the same number of players versus the same number of players. And the fact that mm -hmm. the fact that it lasts for, you know, a whole week or multiple weeks means that things like uh, uptime hours on a server um, for coverage make a huge impact. And that's just not going to be evenly distributed. And we've seen it for five years that it isn't. And so it's it's always had its own problems and the people that are hardcore into it have sort of just adapted to it, right? Like if, if you really care, you just joined mm -hmm. one of the servers that really cared about it 
but it also probably means that there's been a lot of people that have been turned off by that aspect that you know maybe they like their server for other reasons or maybe you know they just are always in these imbalanced matches and so i it's tough because it's yeah, but I think you described it really well because it's not structured. It's not um, purely even like PvP. So I think, mm-hmm. yeah, that's part of the reason that I'm drawn to it. Um, why I, I like to go in and, you know, win with strategy and figure out how to do better than a group of, you know, 5 or 10, or if I'm in a Zerg of 15, beating a Zerg of 30. Um, and I think that's the draw to it. So that brings it to, you know, if they if the algorithm does balance things, um, another concern is, is it just going to turn the world into a giant, you know, K-train or bag train? then it removes that whole roaming strategy aspect from it. So yeah, it's you can't please everyone and you've got this group of people that, you know, maybe that are, you know, don't mind losing every week if that's really what's happening, being beat just because they like the game mode. And this turning the game mode on its head, I mean, where is it going to land? Right, cuz I think the thing is, I mean, what you're talking about with strategy and asymmetrical matches is definitely a big part of it, but then on the other end of it, I, there's got to be players that are frustrated by the fact that no matter oh, yeah. how smart they are, they'll never win because they don't have players that play during the nighttime hours, right? Like that's which isn't really strategy. I mean, it kind of is, but it's like a weird meta strategy of whether or not you have oceanic servers or you know European guilds on your server. Um, yeah, I mean, it's it's very it's one of those changes that if if they want if the goal is to have more balanced matches it's going to sort of by necessity upend the whole system because the system was never really designed to be fair in that way right so yeah i mean i don't know spirit what are your as this system good oh i was just gonna ask spirit what her thoughts were on it because she just gave us the recap of the changes but um it's tough for me i guess because i uh especially as the leader of a guild um, you know, a lot of our guild members are not, I guess, the leader of a PvE guild specifically. We've got people who are interested in PvP, and of course, Raven, and you know, other people in the guild are interested in Worldly World, and so. Um, well, I think that's the one of the coolest things about this. One of the coolest potential, nice things about this. Um, I would say most of the people that are interested in Worldly World aren't even on our NSP server, even though Relics of War is kind of sorta NSP based. Yeah. And that is a really cool aspect. I mean, if this can bring guilds together and be actually to play with each other, that's going to be cool. But for people that, you know, are already rooted in um, communities, I know this isn't the case, you know, for people listening. Some some people say that some of the servers don't have communities and they want this to be thrown to the wind. But NSP, and I think it's Tarnish Coast, um, have real strong communities. And a lot of people are really, you know, going to be sad to see that go. So it's, it is, it's a tough thing. So you get people having to decide, do I want to stick with my SP community and alliance, or do I stick with my favorite guild that's mostly PvE? And that's a really tough decision. And my first response to that would be, um, oh, well, yeah, it's, it's tough. Just make a decision. But then that makes me ask the question, is, it, is this new system better than the system we have in place? I mean, which is the cure worse than the disease, I guess, is the metaphor you could use. Yeah, it's been... Uh, it's a pretty easy decision for me. Um as as a guild leader, you have the option to flag your guild for World v. World um, under the the current design. So I'm I'm going to make relics available for people to choose that as their World v. World guild because there are enough people in relics who want that option. Um, but for for Raven and our other members who are interested in World v. World, 
um, because we've collected people from all over the servers, they, they're they going through some tough decisions right now. Um, it's been interesting to talk to people as, as this news has come out about what they want to do and how, how they feel about, um, you know, having to choose between between friends or allies, I guess you would say. And part of it is also, you know, a, uh, I want to say, I think functional, functional may be the wrong word, but a functional decision as well, because, I mean, when it really comes down to it, are you going to stick with your PvE guild who, it's functional because it's the uh, amount of time you have. If you don't have time to do World of the World and raids, maybe you're just going to jump with your World of the World people, stay with the community that is going to try to cling together. Um, stuff like that. So maybe it's easier in a lot of cases. I don't know. I don't know if they even made any sense what I just said. <laughs> Yeah, I think I think I think the big takeaway, honestly, is that there are a lot of things we don't know. It, it's, That's it's one of the a, hardest it's parts. It's an uncertain about it. time. It's an uncertain time, and it's a tough time if you're a world v world player. Um, and and that's that's where we're at right now. Nothing. There's not enough information to to fully make those decisions. So there's, in a sense, not a reason to worry about them for now. Um, but just a weird situation overall yeah all this being said though i think we've covered most of it um yeah. i think that in the end it will probably be a good thing because something needs to happen to world world because world world's not in a good place it's if it stays where it's at it's just going to die but if this happens i would really like if you know the development team would keep working on it because this may not be perfect at the beginning but as long as they iterate and keep making it better and listening to feedback which I think I said earlier, I don't understand how any feedback is coming from that long forum post where it's just a bunch of people screaming at been on one side or the other. So, but <laughs> if if they would just if they would iterate it, if they put their system with actually keep a team on it or whatever they have to do to keep making it better, I think it'd be a really really good thing. But if it's just left alone, like World v. World has for most of the game's existence, it has potential to be worse. Yeah, I think I think one of the huge advantages of it is because they are. They have these very small units of people that they can piece together. Basically, for a long time, no matter how small the world v. world population gets, we will always have relatively full matchups, uh, which is which is my hope. I think that is the best best possible outcome because maybe I'll even be able to play world v. world after all of the relics folks go to bed with some some fellow oceanic people. Which I haven't been able to do on Northern Shiver Peaks. I, like, I do like Northern Shiver Peaks. I know our commanders here, um, but I don't get to play World v World uh, outside of a roaming aspect at a normal hour. So I would really like to be able to do that because I like World v World and I like doing my reward tracks and I like bag farming and I like uh, standing at the front of a Zerg and wading knee deep into people and screaming at them on my Reaper. <laughs> So uh, I hope I get to do that more often. Yeah, that's that's the other thing. I mean, I like that too. But I think my favorite part of World of the World is Havoc groups and roaming. And it, I think we mentioned before, that is no fun if you're completely outnumbered and being run over by Zergs. So I don't know some, where some people are coming from, though it does make me worry when they're saying, what if this turns it into a K-train? What if this turns it into a bag farm? And there's only giant Zergs out there. I don't think that's healthy either, because there's a strong roaming strategic community. I love it when... Um, you've got a Havoc group that is coming, say, Fabian or whatever commander on the north side of uh, the garrison, and he needs, you know, distraction. So you put, you know, some uh, katas or whatever on the other wall so you'll be attacked by two sides. No one knows what to do. I mean, there's a lot of strategy. It feels like a real 
well, it feels something similar to what we can imagine in a real medical siege. I really like that. I really hope it doesn't go to full Zergs, or no, full I mean, roaming for that matter. I doubt that ever happened. Let me but tell yeah, you I, I about want... tactically oh, placing siege <laughs> in places. Are you... Are you implying that uh, Yaxben uses arrow carts on occasion? Highly tactically. Yeah, that is the greatest loss of this change, is that Yaks siege placement everywhere bend will be dispersed among the masses. Now, maybe this is the greatest yeah. con of all, because we'll just be pissing off all of the regular commanders who are used to just, like, laughing at us from afar, but now... They'll have the chaos of Yaxbend sewn amongst all the servers. It's actually a secret oh, plot no. for us to take over World v. World. Well, that could be really cool, too, because I do think, at least on NSP, I have to say my experiences are only NSP, um, that we don't do defense very well, and that we should. <laughs> I agree. Do you have a, do you have a plan, Greibach? Are you, are you feeling like you kind of want to stay with the Yaxbend? Do you have a guild that you want to hang out with when this change comes through do you have any thoughts on that uh i mean to be perfectly honest i'll probably just do whatever relics does because i haven't played world v world in a long time and you know like the yaxbend siegery is hilarious but i could not tell you a single person's name or guild like from yaxbend it was more just like a general experience and so i'm not really gonna be putting in the effort i really want to know if what? I really want to know if you know where to put the arrow carts better than I do. Oh, <laughs> I mean, if you ask me, I'll say yes. If you ask Spirit, she'll tell you not to listen to me, because the answer is everywhere. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, seriously, Yaxbend has always been infamous, I guess, in, in the community for mm-hmm. just... It's... I don't... It, it's just like, you know, you know when you just are deciding to mess around and not like play super hardcore and you just do goofy crap like when you do a parade or like a underwear dance party in Lion's Arch. It's like that except dropping siege equipment and it happens all the time instead of just like <laughs> randomly. But that's what Yaxbend World seen, v. World is. Have you ever seen the uh, International World Peace Day in World v. World? No. No. There was a bug, uh, this was ages ago now, but I think it's been observed several times, but there was a bug uh, after a patch a few years ago in which all people in World v. World were friendly to each other. <laughs> and so there's these elaborate videos of, you know, all three Zergs, you know, having a parade around Stone Mist and stuff. And I think they've observed it several times since, despite not having a bug, just because it was a weird-ass day. That's pretty rad. Oh, that is awesome. Yeah. Uh, anyway, so so the answer is ultimately I will probably, like I said, just, uh, you know, have Relics be my primary World v. World guild, I guess. And maybe I'll actually World v. World with you guys sometime now. Uh, yeah. Because... Robin's been leading uh, World v. World expeditions on Tuesdays. Yeah. Okay. If uh, you happen to be on SP and you're listening, um, you should uh, join us. We need more people. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, anyway, yeah, it's a big change, and I I understand why they're doing it, and yeah, I mean, like you said, that I am kind of surprised that they're doing it, just because World v. World hasn't really been a huge focus in the history of the game, I feel like, with development. Like, they've done things, but they are much fewer and farther between than changes in the other game modes, and it's a pretty significant change, so... 
it'll it'll be interesting to see how it plays out. The other thing is, and I don't, I think maybe myself included, um, everyone's like, oh my gosh, this is going to happen. Whatever. I think that they kind of didn't they say again, this is you know suggested implementation, and they're looking for feedback. So maybe this won't get implemented. Maybe the feedback will come back and say, oh, we could do something else. And my advice, and giving the dev team advice, I guess, my advice in that would be fine, but just keep iterating. You know, keep making changes, keep working on it, leave it at long periods of time. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. But anyway, do we have anything else to uh, say about World Who World, or should we go over those char changes? Char changes. I don't think I had anything else to add about the World Who World. Did you, Spirit? Yeah, I think I'm good for now. Okay. Well, I so I guess the answer is we'll have to wait and see. Uh, but uh, Spirit, why don't you take it yeah. away with the char stuff? Oh my god, okay, so uh, first of all, I'm going to talk a little bit about the new map, so if you care about uh, open world spoilers, uh, and you haven't been to the new map yet, or explored it at all, uh, turn back now, because here be dragons. Um, actually, char. Here be char. I am so freaking pumped that there are char in the new map. Um, I didn't expect to see Char at all. They're one of my two favorite races. Spoiler alert, the other is Norn. Um, and they haven't in many years uh, gotten much love, uh, lore-wise or, or other. Uh, so when this patch came out, they added a... Or as part of this patch, as part of the map, there is a Char tribe um, that lives here. They have been separated from the Flame Legion, and they came here a long time ago to start a new life. I, they're very different from the normal Char society in that they, um, I'm trying to think how to phrase it, they have a a, a more a less militaristic society and a, an emphasis on nature and helping each other out and magic and things like letting their cubs play with each other and sing and things because they're, they're not like the flame legion which is you know um theocratic and you know all yeah. the whole religious fervor and they're not like the uh iron legion which is you know completely anti uh, gods anti um faith and religion it's a nice in between they're more shamanistic yeah, yeah, shamanistic is a good word. But on top of that, not only do they have their their very well done unique lore and very interesting NPCs to talk to scattered throughout their extensive village, they're like a third of the map, which is so cool. Uh, but they have new cosmetic options as well, which is just freaking awesome. Because... Uh, it's always appreciated for every race, but Char haven't had any new horns since launch. Actually, that's not true. It's not true. Rox's horns were added at some point. Um, but as part of this patch, there were three or four completely new types of Char horns added to both genders of Char. And in addition to that, um, horns from male and female were made available to the other gender whichever so and not only that but all char horns uh one female hairstyle and one female char face made available in this patch 
are available at character creation and not through makeover kits. They are available through makeover kits, but not exclusively through makeover kits. So if you create a char from scratch right now, you have about 10 to 12 more options than you did before the patch yesterday, which is so freaking good. And the horns are super cool. They're nice and, um, I guess, Alonin themed. They got some spiral, like, waterbuck horns. Um, they've got some with, uh, I don't know what you would call them, like, like jagged bits on it. They kind of look like shark teeth to me, but I don't think that's actually what they're made out of. There's some curly ram horns. And, of course, there's all the horns that the other gender had before that you couldn't get access to. And uh, boy, howdy, let me tell you how much time I've spent in my, my perma hair kit since yesterday. Because pro tip, if you are going to just make over your char and just change the horns, get a hair kit because it's less expensive than the makeover kit and you can change the horns and the hair with it. So Oh, sweet. Uh, Those horns too. That's nice. Yep. And I have just been super excited about it and levitating off my chair a little bit, if you can't tell. It, it, it genuinely meant a lot to me to have a race that I I really care about get some cool stuff specifically for it. Um, I, I've said a lot in the past, one of my grievances is that they kind of, especially, especially with general content, they include all races to the point where uh, it's hard for any one race to get a, a time in the spotlight, or they just all kind of feel kind of samey, especially when it comes to the pack things and stuff. And, and stuff like that. So so to have a spotlight on a on a char area felt so good. I can't wait until uh if you think I'm hyped now, guys, just you wait because someday someday Norn will have a pack and then it will just implode. <laughs> Yeah, I I'm a big fan of them adding horn options because a lot of the I mean pretty like all of the char options really have just been hairstyles and it seems like the horns are a much more interestingly distinct feature than their main hair so to speak and some of them are so hideous by them I mean hairstyles rather. Uh, so the horns and general char clipping issues has always been one of those things that's been frustrating I mean, a bit understandable just from an effort standpoint, but still frustrating to people who are really in love with that race. And so, yeah, I, I think it's great that they're getting some new horn options. And also, like you said, I, I was very surprised to see them in this living story, but also it's very cool. And so I hope that we find other types of things like that in living story going forward, you know, maybe with other other Norn or, uh, you know, maybe we'll resolve that plot thread of that other pale tree sometime. Never. Uh, but <laughs> that's okay. We've already had so much Silvari stuff. We don't really need more. Um, but yeah, that's cool. That's And now that's you really can good. have super curvy horns with your super Saiyan hair. <laughs> yeah, the super yes. Saiyan hair is <laughs> sure something. Boy. It's better than a commander tech. Oh, I don't know about that. Because nothing says I world v world like a char with super saiyan hair in the Zephyr rucksack. There you go. No, it's easier to follow than a commander tag in some cases. Is what I mean. You that that may be accurate. That's I won't that's lie. true. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Cool. Well, are we ready to move into cast cast? Uh, emotionally, yes. I don't know if my mouth remembers how to say all those words. We'll certainly try. 
fuck it. I'm going to do it. All right. All right. Deep breath. Hello and welcome to Cast Cast, the podcast within the podcast, but the cast of other podcasts and the style of cast of other podcasts. This week on Cast Cast, nailed it. Still um, have it. Still have it. Uh, there has been a ton of community stuff going on and I wish I could remember all of it. So if you guys have stuff that you have seen recently, feel free to jump in once I've said my bit. Uh, you can have this much warning to think about it while I'm talking. So uh, there are two really cool things on a website called Guild Wars 2 Efficiency, GW2 Efficiency, um, that I wanted to give a shout out to because they're really crazy cool features. Um, One of them is account unlock statistics. So Guild Wars 2 Efficiency could already know what skins you have unlocked and what you need to do to finish a collection, how much gold you've got and so forth if you give it permission to do so. But what they've done recently is they've added a way to compare your unlocks to the player base that uses Guild Wars 2 efficiency. So, for example, if you go to their website and you go pull up the unlocks page, you can sort by titles, achievements, minis, skins, whatever. And then you can see if you have the skin, how many people out of this player base have the skin. So uh, my... My pride and joy recently uh, is that I finished uh, Doom Challenge Mode in Raids, and I got the Voice in the Void title. So I went over to Guild Wars 2 Efficiency to see how many people had it, and at the time that I got it, it was uh, 450 out of 150,000 people had that title. That felt really cool to see... Uh, that not that many people had it in addition to like just having finished it and being super jazzed about it because we only had one poll under 10% actually one poll under like 20 or 15 I don't know it went exceedingly well for how well I felt like it was gonna go also the Doomba can bite my butt um if you don't know Doom Challenge Mode has a mini version of Doom who runs around the room, and if he touches you, he'll pick you up and carry you across the room through everything that's bad into insta-kill fields and just everything. He's called the Doomba, and he is awful. (laughs) And I never have to see him again. Um, Yeah, so that's really cool. Uh, It's been interesting to look at, you know, what I've got that other people don't have, or to look at different items and go, oh, I wonder if that's because it's like a rare or hard to get item or because it's just not that popular. And also, uh, I don't want to pretend that I can have any useful insights for you on this. But uh, you can look at things like, say, all the outfits, right? And see which ones people have because those are all from the gem store. So you can kind of get a sense of like how many or how well each outfit sold and things. And it's weird some of the outfits I like are apparently not very popular at all. Um, but to me, they were insta you know? So like it's what? something... Uh, I think Rox's Pathfinder outfit, actually, which I love. I, I really adore that outfit, especially on female characters. It's rubbish on male characters. But um, I think that was one of the least bought outfits. And I use it on two or three characters to this day because I just think it's so good. Hmm. Um but yeah, interesting to think about, even if there's not really any concrete... Uh, I, w- I wouldn't say, you know, you can throw any evidence at this, right? Like, 
there are far more people who play Guild Wars 2 than the 150,000 or whatever on Guild Wars 2 efficiency. So it's hard to say, but I do think it's fun to look at at least and to wonder about, even if we can't make any concrete uh, conclusions from it. Sure. It and still gives you a general it, trend. Yeah. And just what it does, though, what Guild Wars 2 efficiency does for you and you know the database that I don't know who makes it created is really cool. Yeah. Um, so actually, there's another feature I wanted to talk about that they've added recently, which uh, is a farming calculator. And essentially, you 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 know put it up in your other window or whatever. You start the timer, and then from the time you start the timer to the time you stop it, it tracks all the item and currency changes in your account. So um, I I used it the other week just to try it out. Um, not super hardcore farming or anything, but I was I was trying to get some volatile magic to get prepared for this patch. And so I set it and I went to Istan and it was tracking things like how many unidentified pieces of gear I got and when I salvaged them and how much unbound I've, or volatile magic that I got over the course of the the hour that I did that farm and and the karma and the gold. And when I salvaged things, it would say like plus one this thing and then like minus one this thing. It was really cool to look at all the log and stuff. And I <laughs> I kind of hope it'll make people stop being butts about how much money you can actually make while farming. Because there's some ridiculous numbers that people put out there. Oh, I make 50 gold an hour from Silver Ace. I make 68 gold an hour from Silver Ace. Up your butt. You make... 20 maybe 40 if you're like really good at farming silver waste and you have a lot of magic finds. but i think the average person makes much less than mm -hmm. than they're saying so uh it's a cool tool that i hope people use and and find useful because i thought it was really really cool to have um and then the other thing oh okay so i'm really excited about this uh it doesn't make much sense in the show notes but uh there's a raid community tournament coming up. It is called Elitist Raiding Party 2, and I hate the name and the branding because they make it just a giant meme, and it, it's all about, like, who's the most toxic player, blah, 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 blah. It's a really good tournament, guys. Like, I, I was put off it the last time they run it because of all this stuff, and I was like, I don't as a raider, right? Like, I want people to be excited about my game mode. And I want people to try it out. And I don't want people to be put off by, like, who's the most toxic player. So it's it's a giant meme. I don't agree with it. But I have to say, they have run a very good, interesting tournament with a high production quality and in a good format that is very fun to watch, especially if you understand what's going on. So they'll do... What they'll do is they'll stream to guilds speed clearing a raid wing side by side which is three to four bosses and the fastest one to the end wins but there are some additional rules that make it more complicated so you can only field uh 24 players for a th this is going to sound weird but i'll explain it okay so 24 players for a three boss wing eight eight times the number of bosses in a wing players it you only have 10 people in a party, but you can only use uh, an average of eight people per boss. That's the idea, right? So you have to choose which bosses you're going to low man and which bosses you want to 10 man, uh, right? So you have, to, you have to ration your players throughout the wing, which makes it interesting because you can't just run a full meta comp for everything. You have to strategize what classes you want to bring, who you're going to use where, 
Uh, if you're going to res up at different locations, that's some of the interesting strategy to it, right? In addition to the, the crazy level of skill that these people have. In addition to that, they've added a new rule this year where you can, after each boss fight, you have to decide to discard three of your specializations that you used, right? So say that you're doing Keep Construct, you have a Chronomancer, you have two Chronomancers, two Druids, a Berserker, and six Weavers or five Weavers or whatever. You have four elite specializations total. When you go to the next boss, Zira, you have to decide three of those to throw out and one you can use again. But once you use an elite, once you pick an elite specialization to throw out, you can't use it for the rest of the wing. So it's not that, I don't think it will be that crazy. There, there are some interesting strategy things you can do with it. Um, but mostly it'll be people using DPS options that are a little bit weird or not meta so that they can save their support builds, which are very, very strong. Uh, and at the same time, there's some potential to see some really crazy things. And the, the depth of the strategy from those two rules combined, I think is going to be very cool to watch. Um, so I highly recommend it, despite the, the Mimi name. Go out if you're interested in raiding in Guild Wars at all, or just, just curious about what they do. Go look at this stuff, because it's really, really good. And that's going to take place in the first or second week of April. I think it's like the 6th, 7th, and 8th or something. It's over a day or two. So I am, if you can't tell, incredibly jazzed about the potential of this i really enjoyed the first tournament and i'm so excited to see another one very cool i think it's cool that it'll show like you said people may save their support builds for later and use different builds it'll show neat interesting ways to complete you know raids that people don't usually think of or show that you don't have to always do meta yeah yeah actually um one of the i was talking with christian about it one of the reasons i'm really excited about it is because uh the minstrel chrono was kind of a a meme build or not really taken seriously like people knew it was it, it filled the role and it did okay but quantify sweeping the last tournament i don't know if they swept but uh winning the last tournament uh and especially them using a minstrel chrono and having this community focus on it i think really helped propel that build to popularity and they use a condi mesmer as well i, I think they used a rampager's condi mesmer if i remember correctly wow. uh for Matthias, which was really, uh, at the time, out there. Well, isn't so, Precision a wasted stat? Not on Mesmer. Oh, okay. Because uh, clones and phantasms use your Mesmer's base stats. So if you have Fury on you, it doesn't increase your Precision. It just increases your crit chance. So the Fury on you doesn't carry over to your phantasms oh, okay. and clones. Yeah, anyway, Mesmer's a, a weird thing. But uh, yeah, it got some some community focus on less effective but less popular builds. And I'm hopeful for the same thing this time because there are a few things out there that have a lot of potential but people don't really take seriously, like a Necromancer. Um, and uh, yeah, I hope people give them a more serious look if, if the top speed clearing guilds are using them in a highly publicized community event so yeah this is the type of stuff i get excited about guys i'm a giant nerd <laughs> i mean i'm pretty sure that every guild wars u podcaster and pretty much every podcaster in the history of ever is a giant nerd so sure when and where unless you already said can we uh, find that um 
I will get you the exact details. I know it'll be streamed on uh, Mighty T Teapot's Twitch channel, and it's going to be early April. But I will pull up the details on that right now. Cool. Do you have any shout-outs, Skybuck? Uh, no, I do not. I do not have my ear as close to the ground as Spirit does on these types of things. How about yourself? I know we already mentioned it before, and if you're listening to this podcast, you probably know who already know who that shaman is. But you should go check out that shaman's YouTube and see that Macarena done by Jogo. Mm -hmm. Okay, uh, it is definitely on the 7th and 8th. Um, the streams will be on Mighty Teapot's channel for the side-by-side the -side stream, but each guild is required to stream their own point of view. So it'll, it'll be spread across a number of areas, but you'll be able to find all of them through sort of Mighty Teapot's um, social media and stuff. I'm sure you guys know where to find all that stuff. Uh, if you want to see the rules for the tournament, go to MightyTeapot.tv. And across the top, there is a section that says Raid Tournaments. And then underneath that, you can click on Rules, and it has all the rules and format. So it, if it sounded like I was talking absolute gibberish, but you're interested in it, go there. And they have uh, detailed explanations and examples of all the things that I was talking about. So you can see them for yourself. Nice. Alrighty, well, I think with that, it's uh, time to call this one a wrap. No, it's a podcast. What's that? Nice podcast. No, it's a podcast. Yeah, we uh, seems like we jump back in the saddle pretty well. Sitting here at little over an hour, and still have plenty of stuff to talk about next time. So <laughs> it thank felt you. Good. Yeah, yeah. So thank you everybody for listening, and we will be back much quicker than the last hiatus. I promise. Uh, probably <laughs> in a week, two at the outside edge. Yeah, this has been another episode of Relics of War. If you want to get in touch with us, you can check out our website and forums at relicsofwar.com, email us at relicsofwar at gmail.com, or find us on your favorite social media site just by searching Relics of ORR. If you'd like to join us in-game, you can send a whisper or in-game mail to Spiritface, or drop us a note on Twitter or our website and say hi. Lastly, if you listen to the podcast on iTunes, feel free to leave us a comment and the rating you feel we deserve. <laughs>